Hey, I'm Nate from the Ask a Christian podcast, and today let's talk about what must someone do to inherit eternal life. The question is not nearly as difficult as some make it, but they do. So depending who you talk to, you will hear this question as if they haven't read the Bible before. Um, so they'll take one verse, and this is found in Mark chapter 10. We'll go there in a second. And it's about the rich young ruler, and he says, what must I do? And they'll say, see, Jesus says you have to do something. You have to sell all your stuff. Let's just go there real fast. All right, here we go. So here we are in Mark chapter 10. Let's start at verse 17. So the rich young man, someone's like, so you Christians, you think you can just believe stuff and, you know, say Jesus is Lord and some things like that and invite him into your heart and all that stuff. And, and you don't have to do anything. You can, you don't have to sell all your stuff. I'm like, why would you think that? Because of the rich young ruler in my head. They're like, because of, because of the rich young ruler. Like, I didn't see that coming for the thousandth time. So let's just parse our way through this real quick and talk about a few things. Okay, so the rich young man. And as he was sitting on his journey, a man came up and knelt before uh, him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. We'll get to that in a minute. That's part of another question, um, which is the same exact answer. It's people have a hardened heart or they don't care or they don't read or, well, I guess it's part of a multi-part answer. But the point is, it's, it's the same the same literary device and the way you read this question, this, is the same way you get to the answer of the other one. It's a no-brainer. That's why. So the obvious answer is, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. As if, as if he hasn't been running around performing miracles, saying, I do this in my Father's name, do this, all these things I do, you should believe me, uh, you know, believe because of the miracles I do, believe of all these things, I and the Father are one, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. As if he hasn't been running around doing all that stuff, declaring himself God, almost being stoned multiple times because the people say, you a man, make yourself out to be God. As if he hasn't been doing all that, so the obvious answer is, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Oh my, I call you good because I know you're God. That's why I call you good. Great, let's move on. That That's just the obvious implication. Okay, so let's move on because that's not primarily what we're dealing with today. No one is good except God alone. You are God, that's why I call you good. Well done. Okay, uh, 19. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to them, Teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by this saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So then people will say, Look, Jesus says all this other stuff is great, you've done all this other stuff, but now you have to sell all your stuff. So, see... Though go one of two ways, like it's it's salvation because of works, because you have to do stuff, or they'll like one up that and be like, you got to sell all your crap. Christians have to be poor; uh, they have to be penniless. So why aren't you doing that? Huh? Huh? Dumb Christian! I know your book better than I do, better than you do. Um, that's just nonsensical. That's not the case at all. So all you have to do is read. Right? This isn't something that relies on, which most of the things we don't do, we deal with are not things that re rely on clever interpretation and mental gymnastics. You just read it, like we're going to do right now. Okay, let's back up to the problem verse, right? Okay, 21. And Jesus said, looking at him, uh, and Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. It's not even a new sentence. It says it right here. There's a semicolon. And come, follow me. There's your answer. 
So what do we think is supposed to happen? This guy says, okay, I have to sell my stuff, and then I go drink the blood of the innocent. I have to sell all my stuff, and I have to follow you and teach everything opposite of you. I have to sell my stuff and be an evil person. No, you cannot be this dense. The obvious answer is, he firstly, uniquely identifies this guy's problem, right? Because he's like, check, 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 check. I've done all these things. I'm doing what you teach. I'm in line with everything you're promoting. Um, and Jesus says, but there's one thing. So this one thing for this guy, there's plenty of Christians who are homeless and have no money. So that box is checked, but they have other issues because they're a unique individual person. So that's not like a free pass for the homeless, you know, war veteran on the side of the road who has no possessions and no belongings. That's an easy answer, and he didn't have to do anything. So that would defeat the by, by works argument because that guy didn't have to do anything. He doesn't have to sell his possessions because he doesn't have any. Um, so this is uniquely for the guy that has lots of possessions. And it's not just saying possessions are bad. It's where his heart is. Look what it says. It says, you will have treasure in heaven. And, you know, it talks about that harkens to the Bible verse. It says, store up treasures in heaven where the moth and rust don't don't destroy them. And it says that that's where, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So clearly this guy's heart, because look, he, he went away sorrowful in verse 22 because he had great possessions. So that's, that's just, not just a thing about people that have stuff. It's you can't serve two God, two masters. You can't serve God and mammon, money. So this guy clearly had possessions, but that's also where his heart was. That's where, instead of his heart being with God, his heart was ultimately on his possessions, and he wouldn't budge. So if this went the way many of these people will say, the guy would have been like, yeah, I'll sell my crap right now. Sell it. Peace. Um, but then that still wouldn't have been good enough because there's the rest of the sentence that says, and come follow me. So we're dealing with like a... a three-tined fork here or is it three three-tined fork automatically no it's a pitchfork a trident anyways we're dealing with three roads right so one is to the people that say you have to sell all your stuff and that's works well that's defeated by people that have no possessions and they're like yeah i'm homeless i don't have anything so no works i don't have to sell what i can't sell because i don't have so that gets them off the hook so that defeats that argument for people that say it's a works-based salvation you have to do stuff not to say you don't do anything which kind of gets into like a 3.5 argument where you know the bible says faith without works is dead you will do works but you will not do works to save you you will do good works everyone is saying do good works even the people who say oh you just you say you're saved by grace through faith well the bible says that that's what we believe but we're not saying uh that you will be saved by grace through faith and then not do good works. Nobody's saying that. And that's the straw man the opponents of that will build, and then they'll light that on fire. They may as well light their head on fire. Metaphorically, don't do that. Um, but So the people who say you don't have to do good works, they also promote good works. Me, right? So you're saved by grace through faith. But I would never say don't do good stuff. I would just say the good stuff you do doesn't save you, you will do good stuff inherently because try not to. You can't help it. If you're saved, you have the Spirit of God in you, leading you, guiding you. You're going to do good works. So the people that say you must do good works, they actually usually, from observance, do a worse job at doing good works than the people that say you don't have to do good works. Those people usually end up doing more good works. Check that out for an observation. Um, but anyway, the point is, even the people that say you must do good works and the people that d say you don't have to do good works for salvation... Both groups will say, you must do good works. Except one is saying it's because of your salvation, with the, which your Bible says no. And the other one is saying, you don't have, you will do good works, but they don't save you. 
Grace alone through faith saves you. Christ saves you. Didn't mean to spend that much time on that. Okay. So one and a half of those times is dealt with. The next one would be, and the rest of that sentence, even if he sold all the stuff, that right there is showing works don't save him. Because if he's like, I'm doing a work and I'm selling all my stuff, that's the last thing you say to do, that's incorrect. Because if he did that and stopped there, great, he's still firewood for hell. Works don't save him. That would just be one more issue his heart's dealing with. And if he sold all this junk and turned his heart toward heaven and towards his treasures in heaven, Jesus, salvation, eternal life, the cross of Christ uh, that he was going to be crucified on, um, that's where uh, that's where his heart would be. So the works wouldn't save him because look at the thing that's highlighted. I'm trying to get to the thing that's highlighted. My own brain's preventing me. But and come follow me. So what do we think is going to happen, going back a little bit ago, to if you follow him? It's gonna, he, he would be like the 13th disciple. That's what would happen. So when he goes to you know Peter, James, when Jesus goes to all the disciples and says, hey, stop what you're doing, let's go, follow me. I'll make your fishers of men. Look what they did. They picked up what Jesus taught. They believed in Jesus. They followed Jesus. They were given power. They were given the Holy Spirit. They were given all these things to do as Jesus did. So they believed him as the Messiah, as the Christ, as the Son of God. They witnessed uh, you know, the voice of heaven, uh, voice from the heaven speaking, this is my son, do what he says, watching him uh, ascend into heaven. Um, not, not at the time of this story, but that's what these people did. So they were ardent followers to their death. They were martyred because of their belief in Christ was so strong. That's what it means to follow him. So if this guy's like, okay, you say I have to sell my stuff, I'm going to sell my stuff, and now you say I have to come follow you. huh? What does that mean? Just like the other disciples, that's what that means. So he inherently would have believed that Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Holy Spirit would have revealed that to him, just like Jesus said um, has been granted by Peter. The Holy Spirit revealed it to Peter that he's the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And that's what would have been the instate of this guy. So another way of saying that is be a Christian. In 2023 speak, even though the Christian wasn't used until Acts, that's another way of saying that. That's what all this means. So... Going back, let, let's tie both of these things in. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God. And then um, sell all your stuff and follow me. Selling all your stuff doesn't save you because you're neglecting everything after the semicolon. And follow Jesus. Believe in his death, burial, resurrection in 2023. I'm, I'm not speaking for back then. Back then you believe he is God. You believe he's the son of God. You believe him because of the miracles he, he does. You believe him when he says, I have the authority to take to lay down my life and pick it up again. No one takes it from me. I and the Father are one. That's what you believe back then. Now, looking back on this, we have the benefit of the entire completed canon in the Bible. So let's just look at some of that real quick. Okay, so we're going to go to, fr from the, when people say, why doesn't Jesus, I mean, it's crazy. Why doesn't Jesus just plainly say, I am God? Because they'll never be happy. They'll never be happy. The Jews had plenty of signs, the Pharisees, not the Jews who were Jesus' disciple. disciples. They were all Jews. So, you know, many Jews believed. But the religious order, even Nicodemus and some of them believed. But the Pharisees who were opponents and unbelievers of Jesus, those are the ones I'm, I'm singling out. So they always wanted to sign. And Jesus says, look, he's already done miracles. He's already done signs repeatable, verifiable, over and over and over. Um, he's, he's, you know, made blind eyes open, when people stand up. He's brought people back from the dead. He's done miracles. Yet, what do they say? Show us a sign. He says, what a wicked and perverse generation. The only sign you get is like Jonah in the well, three days in the earth and boom, back to life. That's the only sign. But he's already done signs. They've already seen signs. They've already heard testimony. They've seen it with their own eyes. So 
more signs is not the problem. If Jesus would have indulged them and said, okay, here's another sign, here's another side, he would have had to do a sign that extended their life 2,000 years because they would still be saying, what about now? Give us another sign. Give us another sign. He'd be like, wow, you're like a 3,000-year-old guy and you're still asking for more signs. So if you feed the beast, it's never going to be full. Anyway, that's my, my thoughts. You won't find that in the Bible. Um, anyway, so, but we see that today. So there's nothing new under the sun. There's some more biblical wisdom. Solomon and Ecclesiastes, nothing's new. And we see that. Th we're having the same arguments today that we're talking about now as the Pharisees and the opponents of Jesus did thousands of years ago. Getting off track again. Okay, so the point is where we're going next. John 10. We're going to skip around a bit. So he says... Let's see, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. That's the answer. So, you know, could Jesus have said in perfect English 2,000 years ago, I am God, I am God, a hundred times running up and down the road? I guess people still wouldn't believe. Like, if they're not going to believe when he says, I and the Father are one, and they've read the book a little bit at all, and says before Abraham was, I am, and that goes straight to Exodus uh, is it 328 or 228, where Moses says, who do I call you? What do I say your name is? Who do I tell them I, you sent me? He says, tell them I am sent you. And he goes on to say his name is Yahweh, but he says, I am Yahweh. Tell them I am sent you. Um, so when Jesus says before Abraham was, I am, not like I am going to the store, I am going to the supermarket, I am going to say hi to a friend, but capital letters, all caps, I am, the exact same title and way that uh, was described to Moses to call this God of the Bible thousands of years ago before the thousands of years ago, thousands of years ago from the time of Jesus. Um, anyway, that's the answer. His sheep hear his voice, and he knows them, and they follow me. Um, well, let's go back here real fast. So, you can read up here on your own if you want. It starts at 10, and it kind of gets into the context of this, but we see this all the time, and no matter how much I think in my own wisdom, I guess, you know, chalk up one more win for the Bible, I'll take the L on that one, no matter how much I think we explain stuff like the divinity of Jesus, the Trinity, uh, this passage right here with the rich young ruler, and it's just all these answers seem so obvious, right? And I get uh, our goal is to proselytize and tell people how they can have eternal life in Jesus, um, believe in his death, burial, resurrection. By, by the way, yeah, spoiler alert, we'll get to that. How do you actually have eternal life like the rich young ruler talks about? We'll go there. So the people who take one verse in the Bible and say, look, see, this is a works-based salvation. You have to sell stuff. And it's not just any work, sell all your stuff. Um, and we talked about, you know, the person that has no stuff doesn't have to sell it. So are they eternally screwed? Of course not. That's not what that means. You have to compete with the entire rest of the Bible, which we'll throw out some stuff in a minute. But the point is, I think even though we're supposed to proselytize, and I do, um, I think even if people don't believe it, if, if you espouse that you just don't believe this stuff, it's all fiction, it's all fairy tales, you can at least put on your reasonable person reading comprehension cap and think, okay, I don't believe it, but I understand based on the text in your holy book how you come to that conclusion. But people's eyes legit gloss over and they're like, I don't see it at all. I don't see it at all. Back and forth. Anyway, is my eyes going to stick like that? But people, their eyes will gloss over and they're just like, no, man. And I believe them sometimes. Sometimes I think they're being intentionally, willfully ignorant and obstinate. But a lot of times I'm like, you know what? 
I think this guy really believes it. Like, he does not understand this. Like, of course he doesn't believe it. Um, that's going to take, you know, God himself to, like, grab grab this guy because he is very stubborn and hard-hearted. But I don't think he can he can understand how we get this if he really tried to. And I think he's trying to. I can see, like, smoke coming out of his ears. Um, so, I mean, I guess this gets into starting at verse 14. And this is 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 2, 14. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is judged by no one. Uh, for And then it goes on. For he has understood the mind of the Lord as so to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. And no matter how much I, I want to fight against this person, because it just seems so obvious to me that I think you don't need to believe. You should, but if you're if you're dead set against believing or following or entertaining this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Jesus in the Bible, you should at least be able to understand, okay, we, we see it. It's clearly written on your page, just like the rich young ruler back here. It's clearly written. If you don't believe in a God, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. And if you can't figure out that come follow me, if he did that, he would end up just like the other 12 people. I mean, even Judas, up until he became a traitor, the son of perdition always. But even then, he went through the motions. So if he came and followed Jesus, that he would be the 13th disciple. History could look way different right now. But he didn't do that because his heart was set on his treasures on earth. Um, so anyways, I guess the Bible, I mean, you know, I'm happy to be wrong. <laughs> the Bible is right when it says, it, it may as well say, even though this is like point blank in front of your face, you're still not going to understand if you have a hardness of heart and are stubborn and unwilling to yield to the things of God, then you can have something in black and white in front of your face and you will not be able to comprehend it. I mean, it should have just said that because that's what we see. And no matter how much time I try to fight against this, more and more I'm, I'm learning to accept it. I'm like, look, you have to start with Jesus. You have to start with the cross of Christ, death, burial, resurrection. There is a God who created matter and everything in it and you and all this other stuff. No matter how much you say you don't believe that, that's the truth. That's my claim. Sue me. I'm not going to win a debate medal. I can't drag God out of the heaven and throw him under a microscope for you. But that's my claim. And my further claim is that's why you, I guess, cannot understand this, no matter how many times we hold your hand and try to lay it out for you. So if you want to if you want to vet my claim, start with Jesus. If you start with Jesus, everything's going to become clear. You're going to have the Holy Spirit of God leading you and guiding you into all truth and understanding. And you're going, I, I guess, like the veil, like the scales from Saul's eyes are going to fall away and become you'll become Paul. And you're like, wow, this was in front of my face the entire time. Um, so there, that's my full claim. If you want to vet me. Try that. Um, anyway, so, yeah, I guess even for the very, very simple, just written into it, just reading it in plain in plain letter, letter as it's written, um, you really have to have the Spirit of God. Um, and then going on to, to the God thing, uh, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they knew me. So when he says back to, this is taking a lot longer than I meant. No one is good except God. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. People in the same fashion, exactly, try to use that one verse and say, see, Jesus is saying he is not God. I'm like, how can you possibly get that? Again, contend with the whole rest of the Bible. So when he says no one is good except God, the obvious answer is I'm calling you good because you're God. And then, I mean, let's just look at the rest of the scripture. Like this is the stuff, I mean, 
they didn't have it in text yet. <laughs> they didn't have it on a computer or an iPad yet. But this is the stuff that they were saying that eventually got written down and is what we're saying now. So I and the Father are one. So when Jesus was walking in the temple, uh, the Jews gathered around and said, how long will we keep us in suspense? As if he hasn't already been saying this stuff. Um, if you're the Christ, and this is John this is John. 10. So this this whole this whole like series of events starts on like John 8. Go back and read there. And he's just like every paragraph he's like saying something that's like he's divine, his divinity. I'm God. I'm God. Like I am uh, before Abram was. I am. So if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Anyway, so this is not new. He's been saying this a lot. So by the time we're in John 10, this is kind of like the end of this little sequence of events. Um, let's see what I say. I am the father of one. See, I, I, it says the same thing, right? Like, if you go back up here, he's, like, saying the same stuff, like, in this passage. That's why I was confused. I'm like, wait, where is it exactly? Well, where I was looking exactly from is right here. He's saying very similar things right in this area. So all you got to do is just read. He says the same things over and over and over. Anyways, this is the part I wanted to single out. So the Jews came, how long will you keep us in suspense? As if he hadn't just said it for the last two chapters and three paragraphs above. I told you, yeah, you know, I do works in my father's name, but if you do not believe me because, uh, but you do not believe me because you are not uh, among my sheep, my sheep hear my voice and I know them, I give them eternal life. Who can give eternal life but God? In Revelation, uh, tw is it 21, 6 and 7? He also, to he who sits on the throne, that's that's the title, the one sitting on the throne says something very, very similar here. I will give them eternal life. And he talks about the waters, which Jesus also talks to in, in John 9, I think, and says, I will give them the waters of life without payment freely to anyone who asks. That's the same guy in Revelation, I think it's 6 and 7, 21, 6 and 7, who says the almost verbatim, the same thing. I will give them waters of eternal life to whoever wants it freely, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Side note. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them is greater than all. And lots of times people will also... Um, do I sound jaded? Maybe I am a little bit. Maybe it's PTSD from this. People will be like, see, Jesus says the Father is greater than all. Therefore, he is not the Father. Well, yeah, he says the Father is greater than all. And then look what he says. Like, all you have to do is keep reading. My Father who has given to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Jesus is not the Father, yet keep reading. Yet I and the Father are one. And this is how we get... I, I can't go into a trinity discussion. We'll be here all day. Uh, stay tuned. But this is how we get Jesus is not the Father. Jesus is Jesus. Philippians 2, 6, or Colossians 3 says Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And... Uh, Philippians 2.6 talks about how Jesus, being in very nature God, lowered himself and didn't take advantage of that position, that equality, fully equal God. He humbled himself and took the form of a servant, the flesh and bone Jesus that we know in the Bible. Um, so he is God, yet he is not the Father. The Father is not him, and neither are the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is neither the Father nor the Son. So this is the triune being, the persons uh, of God. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to the Trinity. <laughs> Anyways... But that's how you get, you just read the next sentence. So the, I think the only way besides wisdom of man and trying to oppose Christianity and look for dust to kick up, the only way you could really do that is by just not reading, in many cases, the very next verse, or like we talked about the rich and ruler, the rest of the sentence after the semicolon. So I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up, pick up rocks again to stone him. See, again. This already happened like a chapter and a half ago. They already picked up stones to stone him, and here he is again. So uh, he goes on, and, and he keeps doubling down. 
So he doubles down and doubles down and doubles down. So if anyone brings up, like, I think it's John chapter 8, 58, I, I think that's around the first time he gets into this thing. And then they want to like, focus on that. And like the, I called you gods, you're, you're gods, you know, those who receive the word. And they're like, see, he's not calling himself God. He's calling everyone gods. Like, go from eight to ten. Like, it, it, it fleshes everything out here. Okay. So anyways, how does one actually get saved? So if it's not because of works and all this other stuff, how does one really get saved? Let's just hit a couple of these things. That's the great thing about the New Testament, by the way. The same authors, the same people, it's not like argument upon argument. These things are like going to haunt my dreams tonight. I'm giving myself nightmares. Good job, Nate. Um, but w when people bring up arguments, they'll lead one to another. But in the New Testament, th they'll say like, oh, well, who's greater, Paul or Jesus? Or, you know, Paul or Peter? Or who should you listen to? What about the book of Timothy? They're all the same. It's all God. That's the point. And I was just in a Facebook battle with someone who, who I, I man, I don't know. I, I think it's a Unitarian thing, or I, I don't know. Not to put all Unitarians in that in that thing, but it seems like it's mostly Unitarians who have a thing for Paul. Um, they're like, Jesus is greater than Paul. I serve Jesus. Why do you serve Paul? But they also don't think Jesus is God. So, anyways, but I'm like, N I don't serve Paul. I serve Jesus. But Paul and Timothy and Jude and all the other books of the Bible, Obadiah, Nehemiah. All of these are inspired by God himself, by the Holy Spirit. So if Paul's saying something, it's not the man Paul saying something, it's the Holy Spirit. So it's God. And Paul even clarifies sometimes, like I say this in my own wisdom, and it's like two sentences he says in his own wisdom. Um, everything else is as a command from God. So regardless, all these things are inspired by the Holy Spirit. So whenever Peter says something, it's not like I take Peter's word over the word of Jesus. Peter's word is the word of God because the Holy Spirit is directly inspiring Peter. So Peter may be going like that and writing some stuff down every now and then, but it's because of the Holy Spirit. So they like to come up with contradictions, and you know some of those contradictions will be, and they're fabricated. It's complete fabrication. They'll say things like, you know, Jesus was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel, and uh, Paul says it's for everyone. There is no reason this conversation would take more than like three minutes. And that's been giving it a lot of time. So when Jesus says he, he is sent to the lost sheep of Israel, keep reading. And you get to, is it Matthew 26? It talks about the Great Commission. And he says, you know, I was sent first to the Jewish people. And, you know, I'm the stone the builders rejected. And now I've become the cornerstone. And so he went to the Jewish people first. But he didn't just say, I'm only going to the Jewish people. Peace out, Gentiles. Bye-bye, planet Earth. He went to them first. And then in the Great Commission, he says, go into all the world to all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, making disciples of everyone. So when Paul says anyone who believes in him uh, will be saved, if you believe in that God raised Jesus from the dead and confessed Jesus as Lord, you'll be saved, that's anyone. So they're not being pitted against each other. They're saying the same thing. Um, anyway, so how does someone become saved? Let's just read a few of these. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves. It is a it's a gift of God, not by works. So no one can boast. Not by works. Why are we still talking about this? Why am I still talking about this? It is not by works. Well, actually what the Bible means, we've just been talking about how straightforward the Bible is and how it didn't require like fancy interpretation. Just read it as it's written. If you want to get into like a deep theological secondary doctrine about like, you, you know, the, the destination or intermediality between souls and consciousness in the afterlife, 
interpret away. No one knows. Um, but things like this, the Bible, it is not by works, so no one can boast. Okay, Romans 3, 22 and 24. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. To all. That's Romans saying that. And Jesus is not contradicting that by saying he was sent to the lost sheep of Israel because he also ends up saying now that they've rejected him. And by the way, not all Jews. The first Christians were Jews. The disciples were Jews. Um, but to the Jews who did reject him, um, now he's opening up to everyone. Go tell all the people about uh, the gospel. Okay. To all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all of sin and fall short of glory, the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Galatians 2.6. I won't bore you forever, but to get the point across. I've already talked long enough. Let's keep going. Uh, Galatians 2.16. Know that a person is not... Ah! Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but... Uh, by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because the works of, by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So remember the rich young guy? Um, he also says, I've kept these commandments. I've kept these laws. Great. You're still not justified. Uh, you have faith in God, like Abraham had faith in God before there was a law. So faith in God is why you could be following the law. But ultimately, you following the law by itself is not going to justify you. What would if he, like Jesus said, sold all of his stuff to just get rid of his personal issue, to get his heart focused on the things it needs to be, which is not treasures of this world, but treasures of heaven, i.e. Jesus, eternal life. And then that still wouldn't justify him. What would justify him? Follow him. And by following him, you're going to go through the same stuff all the disciples have gone through, which is recognizing he is God. He can save you. He alone can make you born again and give you eternal life. That is what will get him justification. Anyways, Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Last one of this. Titus 3, 4, and 7. But when the kindness of our Lord and Savior Jesus appeared, uh, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done. Not because of righteous things we have done. But because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So salvation is a gift of God, nothing you can do to earn it but even though there's nothing you can do to earn it you will still do good works can't uh, i mean you know <laughs> is this me thinking like um you know it's like the sheep hearing my voice again just because people should know this by now they've been arguing for thousands of years and everyone just talks past each other <laughs> maybe this is a glass half glass half empty nate <laughs> it's not going to change um his sheep will know his voice Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Um, let's see. That was for works. Did I lie? No, I didn't lie. Lying is intentional. I had a whole other thing I wanted to read you guys. Okay, so um, that was addressing the faith and works thing. How do you actually become saved? Romans 10, 9, and 10. I love this. It's like my, my favorite go-to because it just sums up the entire Bible right here. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else, and there is no other name under heaven given to mankind, which man must be saved. 
You know who that name is? It's Jesus. Um, John 3.16. I, I mean, you know, this is like Sunday school class. Everyone should know this. But if someone doesn't, here's how you get eternal life that Jesus was talking about, which undoubtedly is the same thing the, the rich young man, if he would have sold all of his junk, again, that doesn't start the road to being saved. That's just something he needs to get rid of. He needs to focus on heavenly things, not earthly things. But the follow him part, this is what he would have got. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So if you're one of the whoever people believe that, congratulations. Believe the gospel. Ask Jesus to save you, forgive you of your sins, make you born again. He says you must be born again. Ask him to make you born again. That's make you spiritually alive. You're born once through f flesh and blood. You know, he talks about the water and the spirit. The water is your natural flesh and blood, flesh and bone birth, and the spirit is spiritual. It's becoming spiritually alive, which Jesus will do the moment you confess he is Lord and believe in his death, burial, resurrection. Ask him to save you, make you born again, and give you eternal life. Boom, you've got it. Mystery of the universe solved. Go tell someone. Ephesians 2 and 8, 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so no one else can boast. I think we already read that in the faith versus works thing. Anyway, uh, Acts 16.31, they replied. Um, they're asking, how do you become saved? Um, the crowd. Or the jailers, prisoners. I, I forget who they're talking to. But the disciples replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to for, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So, uh, there you go. And then here's one more faith and works one. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus our Lord. I thought it was going to say one of the things about not by, not by works or something. Anyways, okay, this was like... <laughs> like 30 minutes longer than I meant for it to be. But the point is, going back to the rich young ruler, um, all you got to do is read it. Let's end on that note. We began on that note. Let's end on that note. Come on, rich young guy. Where are you? So to the actual point I was trying to address, let's go back to the beginning. He says, sell all your stuff. And that's where people say, see, you have to either do it for works or and and or all Christians must have no possessions because Jesus is telling you to sell all your stuff. No, he's not. That's a lie. Probably inspired by demons. Um, he's identifying this one guy who had a problem with his possessions, and this one guy, that was his solution. If someone didn't have a possession and they had a problem with habitually lying, maybe Jesus would have said, stop your lying and come and follow me. Um, so it could have been anything. If he would have had a problem with like being an alcoholic, maybe he would have said, hey, uh, sell all you, you know, you lack one thing, go and, uh, go and stop being an alcoholic and, you know, go through the 12 steps program and then come and follow me. So anything you can insert here, first of all, it's unique to this guy. So what if this guy had two things? What if he had three things? Uh, what if it was someone else that didn't have these problems still after the semicolon, you're going to have and come follow me. That is the key takeaway from this. So hope that helps. Uh, check out the Ask a Christian book. It's on Amazon. It's totally free to read if you had to have a Kindle Unlimited subscription. Um, I don't get anything for it, but I mean, you know, that's how you can read it for free. Um, grab a t-shirt, support the podcast. It's got this little logo on it. Wear that if you'd like to share your faith and why you have it. Guarantee you will get stopped and probably get asked some questions like this. So um, <laughs> anyways, thanks for your support. Share these links and uh, help us continue to spread the gospel. And uh, I don't know, a little education with people online. So what day is it? I don't even know what day it is. I think it's Friday. 
I don't know when it is when you're reading this, but have an awesome weekend. If it's not right now, the next weekend. Have a nice one of those. See you all later.